Hello, welcome to Chapter 3 Podcast, the show for readers of science fiction, fantasy, and romance. This is Season 1, Episode 3. I'm Bethany, your host, and joining me as a guest today is Cammie from the horror YouTube channel Cammie's Corner. Today we'll be discussing when sci-fi or fantasy cross over into horror. If you want to support the podcast and get early access to episodes and exciting bonus content from our guests, check out our Patreon linked in the show notes. Okay, before our conversation today, it's time for On My Radar, where I share 10 upcoming book releases in science fiction, fantasy, and romance. I'll give you my top nine, and my guest will have the opportunity to share one of theirs. The books for today's episode will be released between October 28th and November 10th, 2020. With the exception of Cammie's guest recommendation, she is free to suggest any new release. Beginning with romance, on November 3rd, Marissa Meyer, author of The Lunar Chronicles, is releasing her first contemporary romance. Published by Macmillan, Instant Karma is a YA romance where a chronic overachiever is gifted the ability to cast instant karma on those around her, both good and bad. Then on November 10th, we have two books to talk about. First up, a YA romance from Simon Pulse. Rent a Boyfriend by Gloria Chow is a romantic comedy about a college student who hires a fake boyfriend to appease her traditional Taiwanese parents to disastrous results. Then from Forever Romance, we're getting A Lady's Guide to Mischief and Mayhem by Amanda Collins. This historical rom-com features an intrepid female reporter matching wits with a serious detective. So that one sounds like fun. Then I have a few speculative releases to talk about. First, on October 28th, we've got an interesting one coming out through Serial Box. The Haunting of Beatrix Green by Rachel Hawkins Ash Parsons and Vicki Alvier Schechter is a gothic horror romance being released in multiple episodes for fans of Sherlock Holmes and Crimson Peak. This is interesting because the format is a little bit different, so I'm, I'm curious to see what this ends up looking like. Then on October 3rd, I've got two books to share. First up from HMH, we have The Ravens by Cass Morgan and Daniel Page. This is a YA story that follows a college freshman pledging as a legacy to a sorority coven of witches. Sounds like fun. Then from Blackstone Publishing, we have Firefly Generations by Tim Levin. This is the fourth original novel based on the beloved space western TV series. And this one involves a mysterious star map, a legend of ancient ships, and a drifting relic. Then on November 10th from Tor, we're getting The Factory Witches of Lowell by C.S. Malarick. This one sounds like an interesting one. It's a historical fantasy about witches going on strike in the mill town of Lowell, Massachusetts. Then from Orbit, we have The Fires of Vengeance by Evan Winter. This is the follow-up to The Rage of Dragons, an action-packed African-inspired epic fantasy. And finally, from Disney Hyperion, we have Rebel Rose by Emma Thiroltz. Book one in the Queen's Council series, which will offer empowering reimaginings of the Disney princess stories. This one is tackling Beauty and the Beast. So that one sounds really cool. Curious to see what we get from that series. With that said, please join me in welcoming Cami to the show. Hi, Cami. Thanks for joining me tonight. Hi, Bethany. Thanks so much for having me. This is really exciting. Congratulations on launching your podcast. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you want to briefly introduce yourself to our listeners and share your pick for an exciting new release that you want them to know about. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as Bethany stated, I am Cami from Cami's Corner. I predominantly 
talk about horror. That is my niche. Um, I do read in other genres, but I tend to gravitate back to horror. Uh, every now and then I'll just cleanse my palate with something if I've read something a little intense or a little twisted or dark. But for my pick, I'm actually going to choose one that's been out um, since August, and that is Betty by Tiffany McDaniel. That book blew me away. That book is actually one I cried, physically cried three times while reading it. It hit every trigger warning under the sun, but the story is just so powerful. I mean, that is the first time in such a really long time that I have connected with characters in a book. I felt what they were feeling and I I can't explain it. I can't sell it. It's an experience. I can say that much. I hope everybody will give it a chance because it is, it's really tough. It is probably one of the hardest books I've ever read in terms of emotion. It will trigger every emotion, every human emotion you have. But when you're done, you're going to be like, wow, that was an experience, but I am a better person for having read this story. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, go check out Betty. And again, all of the books that we talk about tonight will be listed in the show notes. So check them out there. So tonight, because we talk a lot about sci-fi and fantasy on this podcast, I wanted to, as we have Halloween coming up soon, spooky season seemed appropriate to talk a little bit about horror. And I think it's interesting when sci-fi and fantasy start to verge into horror and when that line becomes blurry or you get kind of genre mashups and that's some of what we want to talk about tonight. I can say for sure that I've read a lot of books like that this year that I've really been enjoying and Cammie I've been I'd be interested to hear from you on kind of your take on where is that line between horror and fantasy or horror and sci-fi and and how do you differentiate them or where are they kind of crossover stories. I think it's interesting that this is the topic that you wanted to discuss with me because this has been coming up a lot in the horror community of late where fantasy and sci-fi have that gray line anyhow. And I I know you can attest to this because you read quite a bit in both of those genres. And so with horror, a lot of people when they think of horror, they automatically assume it's much like a horror movie. And if I can discredit anything for anyone, it's please don't try and compare movies to books. And that's not just saying, you know, if there is a a movie adaptation and uh, a book becomes a movie, that kind of a thing, Not, not even in that sense. I just don't want people to feel that if they don't like horror movies, they can't read horror books because not everything is bloody and gory and messy and, you know, just frightening. And I think one of the most perturbing questions, and I hate to say it that way, but it it does become perturbing because as a continual reader in the same genre, one of the questions I get asked often is, can you recommend a book to me that's going to scare me? And horror in and of itself is subjective. You know, it's what is it Mm -hmm. that scares you? And really, it's anything that's terrifying to you, anything that makes you uncomfortable, anything that really just takes you out of your comfort zone. It's Mm -hmm. okay to step outside of your comfort zone. So horror mashes so well with fantasy and sci-fi. There is just some amazing authors out there that do it so well. And one of the best sci-fi books I've read this year was a novella by Stephen Kauzanowski. And that for me really set the bar as to how I think about sci-fi differently. The 
novella by Stephen Kozanowski is called Skin Wrapper, and that one was actually um, released by Sinister Grin Press, and it is a derivative of the hematophages. And I hadn't read that one, so um, I was kind of a little bit nervous going in, but that one really just clicked all of the right horror boxes but gave you that space element that kind of left it lingering for you. So I definitely, definitely recommend Skin Wrapper by Stephen Kazanowski. Interesting. I do definitely think, you know, you're talking about horror not always necessarily being blood and gore. And I think for me, that's that's what I've been discovering this year. And I always thought I didn't like horror because I don't like that and because I don't like those kinds of horror films. But I think this year has been a lot of me discovering the niche that I do enjoy. And often it is things that are crossing over into sci-fi or fantasy, things that are more about using horror tropes to explore bigger ideas or bigger issues more than just kind of slasher or blood and gore type things. And I think that's interesting that maybe there's something out there for everybody or for many people, more people than might expect. Oh, absolutely. And if I can, you know, reel anybody in on that notion, you know, that is what I always lead with is, you know, subgenres. Subgenres are so important when discussing horror with other people because that really opens up one's eyes that don't typically gravitate to it or do avoid it because they feel that it is a lot like the movies. And so it's like, hold on, let me reel you in for a second. Mm -hmm. Don't think of horror in terms of the way the media sells it, because of course the media is going to hype the gore, the blood, because that's what sells at the box office. But when you're reading horror in a book, I mean, I I even discovered um, a fantastic author by the name of Chad Lutsky, who is known for his quiet horror. And a lot of his books ironically get grouped into horror, but they're really not. I mean, they're he writes a lot of coming of age, but it's a really hard sell when you just say, this is horror. You really have to dissect it. So when people are kind enough to give me their time and really want to have a conversation. I have so many suggestions for people and recommendations when it comes to what your type of horror is. Because if you're the type of person who doesn't like, you know, the scary stuff you see on film, then I'm not going to recommend to you a body horror or a slasher book because you're not going to enjoy that experience. As a horror reader, right. if I'm going to bring you into the genre, I want you to be comfortable. I want you to find something that you're like, ooh, that was good. Give me more. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's what's so interesting about it. And I, you know, I look at some of the things that I've read this year and have really loved. I think one example that kind of crosses over with with fantasy as we're talking about crossovers that's a debut is The Year of the Witching by Alexis Henderson. And it's definitely horror, but it has, you know, some more fantastical witchy elements to it. It's addressing larger ideas and questions about the abuse of power in religious communities, for instance. And it's just a great storytelling. And I loved it. It is horror, but it's not what you might imagine. It's I, I think it's been pitched as Salem meets The Handmaid's Tale. And I think that's pretty apt. And that's such a good book, too. I mean, that book is on fire. There's so many people talking about that book. And you're absolutely right. But it's so good. But that is a perfect example of, you know, not going in with expectations of it's going to be 
a hoard. And I really like to sell books too, going in on very little because then you go in with this notion that you're getting to know the characters, you're really sinking into the setting, and then the horror hits you. And that is a really interesting element when it comes to fantasy, because a lot of the times for me as a horror reader, when I dip into any type of dark fantasy or magical realism or magic realism, you know, you really get the tingles when you hit the fantasy part. One recent book that I read that falls into that category that kind of has some mixed reviews, but I really dug it was Elsie Barlow's Pivot. And this is going to end up being a trilogy. And that one for me, it's a YA. Well, it's, it's here's the funny thing. It's a, a adult book, but it reads like a YA. And I think that's why it's having a hard time on the market because the main character, you start off as a 10-year-old and then the character then develops into, you know, what we will know at the end of the book or at the end of the first book anyway, as a 17-year-old. And so I think sometimes people get caught up in the ages of characters too. And that's really unfortunate because, you know, there's just so many good elements. This is a story about kind of a trained assassin. So that book is a lot of fun and there's a lot of creepy elements, but it does have a touch of supernatural too. So it can appeal to multiple audiences. Yeah, that's really interesting. I haven't even heard of that one at all. So I really think you would dig that one, to be honest. I think you would enjoy that one. I always love love a trained assassin those are those are fun yeah i think there's quite a few things that have been hitting broader or hitting wider audiences maybe that are interesting this year and and a couple of books that have ended up being among my favorites that are horror that kind of crosses over in different to different things one example would be the southern book club's guide to slaying vampires by grady hendrix is a great one and it's it crosses over into that paranormal fantasy with the vampire element but it's definitely horror and the other one that comes to mind is mexican gothic by sylvia miranda garcia which i loved and that one is gothic horror which is its own thing and i'm discovering i love everything gothic basically is <laughs> my discovery this year it's so funny that you mentioned that too because those are two really good examples of books that fall under the same subgenre of gothic horror um you can kind of say that grady hendrick's mm-hmm. book is more of a southern gothic because anything that tends to take place in you know like a, a georgia setting or a backwoods kind of setting that um has you know um some of those mm-hmm historical points because you know how he does go back and reference um, some history in that book you do find that you you kind of get this confusion with people you know that oh you said it's gothic so it's got to be a story about ghosts and haunted houses and it's like no it's so much more than that And, and that's why horror I love it I love to talk about it if you like gothic horror this is why I'm saying it's a good fit for you because those are two perfect examples of something that fits in the same category but they're on two different parallels you know yeah yeah that's interesting no it's it's a good point and you know they have fantastical elements of them that I think can appeal to some fantasy readers but are still solidly I feel in the, in the horror genre and that seems to be at least for me what works in horror there's a book that I'm reading right now it's the third in the Malice Domestica series so this one is The Hellion by S.A. Hunt and the main character is a witch hunting punk YouTuber and it's definitely horror but it's paranormal elements to it 
And again, the thing that people who know me from my YouTube channel probably know, it's tackling bigger issues. And in, in book three, what's interesting about it is it's using horror as a way of talking about domestic violence. And for me, what is so interesting and powerful about horror as a genre and mixing it in with these other things is it can be a way of talking about big, serious, difficult to grapple with issues in a way that might not be as digestible in just a straight up contemporary genre. And again, I feel like you're inside my head right now because you're you're saying some fantastic points about horror. And horror, I always tell people, horror is one of those things that once you're exposed to it, once you read it, once you are absorbed in it and you start reading a lot of it, you start to view the world differently. I find that right now I'm reading a lot of things that maybe 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't have touched with a 10-foot pole. But as my reading gets deeper and I start to be exposed to certain things, I'm looking at the world differently. And we know that 2020 has caused us to open our eyes, or at least it should for most people, in so many areas. And horror has never been afraid to tackle the hard-hitting issues. And I feel that those that read horror understand that. And what I say to a lot of people is this, is that horror takes the ugly, the dirty, the things that most people try and and pretend that don't exist in our world, the forgotten, and they change it into almost like this manifested phoenix. You know, it just rises from the ashes. And when you're done with the, the novel that you're reading or the novella, you're like, wow, that was really powerful. You know, you hear poetic quite a lot in horror. Wow, the prose were just magical. They, they floated off the page. And you don't think that you would hear things like that or statements like that being used in horror because, again, media has kind of stifled the idea that horror can be beautiful, that horror can take something really ugly, something really difficult and really challenging and bring it to the surface in such a way that it it stays with you, you know, and then you share it with other people. And I've read some really dark, twisted things, but in the heart of it, there's some incredible writing that, you know, I I try to tell people, uh, one of the authors that I do this a lot with is Chandler Morrison. One of his books, I can't recommend it to anybody, but I'll say it here because it's one of those that if you do it, it, it's just it's life changing because it's really ugly and gross, but it's called Dead Inside, if that tells you anything. The premise of the story. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's heavy. I'm going to tell you right now, it's probably one of the worst subject matters I've ever read in my life. But if you can look past that, and I know this even sounds weird to say that if you can look past what the story is about and just focus on the writing, it is some of the most beautiful writing I have ever read in my entire life. I I honestly want to say that that's probably going to be my favorite book of all time. Wow. And it's gross. It's wow. so gross. It, and when you read yeah. it, I don't know if you'll ever read it, Bethany, but if you do, you'll probably question why you even talk to me. <laughs> it, I, it definitely does not sound like my my favorite subgenre. No, I, I don't. I don't recommend it to anybody, but I do. It's just it's so hard not no. to tell people. But it's just it's so beautiful, but it's so ugly at the same time. Well, which I, I mean, I understand that in maybe more mild examples, I feel like sometimes I will read books in other genres where that's true, where I'm like, the writing is beautiful. You know what actually I think is a great example of that, of this, which is 
literary fantasy with some horror elements. So maybe this is a good place to talk about it, actually. Um, But Black Leopard, Red Wolf by Marlon James is a book that is very difficult to read and has so much difficult subject matter and wasn't necessarily fun to read. But also it was brilliant and the writing was beautiful, even when it was awful things that were being discussed. So I do get it. You know, there are there are books like that. And so it's the kind of thing where I'm like, look, if you're going to read this book, you should look at trigger warnings. You should know what you're getting yourself into because there are people who are going to read this and be like, why is this on the page? This is horrible and I hate it. But again, if you can kind of see past that and see what it's doing and what it's saying and the writing itself is just stunning. So I like I get that there are definitely books out there that are like that. You know, I, for one, that's something I've had to learn how to develop in my reading is trigger warnings because I didn't believe in them. I always told people, you know, that to me is it's stifling someone's ability to freely discuss a book. If you're putting trigger warnings in there, you're saying, you know, this is not spoiling it, but kind of in, in a way, that's what I was saying from the beginning until I read a book that changed that for me. And I think sometimes it takes that where you're shocked to your core. And once that happens to you, you look at literature differently. And so now I do believe in them. Mm -hmm. I don't give them always because it's really challenging and horror because, you know, like I stated, it's very subjective in, in terms of what will trigger someone. And you kind of know going into horror, you're going to be shocked. You're going to be left with those feelings of unease. And what bothers me might not bother you. However, there are some things that are a little over the top. And I think that if you take it from a human compassion element and you're like, oh, you know, that that hurt a little bit. It might have not been my hurt, but it's going to be somebody's hurt. So let me acknowledge that. And I think also with, in terms of what you're talking about, literary fiction on the cusp of horror, I think you see this a lot too, when books get deep and people can't follow the story. So they automatically just kind of shake their head and say, that wasn't a really good book. And one that comes to mind is uh, the latest Stephen Graham Jones, The Only Good Indians. That one is getting a lot of mixed reviews. I loved it. But I think that people are missing the Mm -hmm. mark because they were looking for something that isn't there. And that happens a lot too Mm -hmm. with, I think Chad Lutsky is also a good example for that. When people go in expecting to get scared and you can't do that all the time with horror. You have to take it for what it is. It's a novel and then take out of it what scares you, what stays with you, what gives you chills. And it's not always going to be that jump mm-hmm. scare. It's not a movie. But it just it breaks my heart sometimes to see reviews and to see how people interpreted things. And it's like, oh, you missed the mark. You didn't you didn't get what the author was trying to project. You didn't you missed the story, you know? Yeah, I've seen I've seen this conversation recently also with Mexican Gothic. And I find it really frustrating when people say, how can you call this horror? I didn't think it was scary. I'm like, well, that's not what makes it horror. Whether or not you thought it was scary is not what determines its genre. Yes. <laughs> I, I find that to be such a frustrating thing. And yeah, um, The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones, fantastic book. And I think powerful in the things it's talking about. It is a slower burn, the pacing in between. But I think that's intentional. It's like a slow burn punctuated by intense moments of horror. 
And I, I think it's a great book. It's interesting, the conversations that happen. And I, I think that's the thing too, is that horror isn't necessarily always intended to be scary. Sometimes it's intended to make you think or maybe be disturbing in a different way. I, I think a classic version, for example, of gothic horror is Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. And you could look in, look at it and say, well, it wasn't really scary. Yeah, it's not that scary, but philosophically, it's a little scary. You know, like it's not the the plot that's intended to be. But I think what's, what's potentially scary or thought provoking about it is this idea of what are the negative effects when people try to play God? And what can that look like and what can come of that? And that I think is interesting. And that I think also crosses over into one of the things we're talking about today, which is sci-fi. Sci-fi, and, and I would argue that Frankenstein is kind of a blend of some sci-fi elements with gothic horror, because sci-fi frequently is grappling with the things that scare us. And I think that's one thing too, is depending on the book, a scary book or a horror book can sometimes be a safe place to grapple with things that you find to be scary or with existential threats. It's it's a book, you can close it and step away from it when you need to, it's fiction, but it can be, I think, a safe space to think about some of those things. And I think sci-fi is a really good example of kind of redefining horror and I you know again horror has just so many of those gray lines so many blended lines so many you know just curves where you can take a book and depending on your reading history I guess maybe is a better way to define that and how experienced you are within the genre you can start to kind of connect the dots and that's what I love to do I like to kind of say oh this kind of reminds me of this book and sci-fi does that really well because I think a lot of times when people hear the the term sci-fi again we can thank television for ruining this for most people but they think of outer space and aliens and it's so much more than that I mean it's medicine it's science yeah. it's it's the pandemic I mean come on what's going on in our world right now that that is sci-fi horror at its greatest. A perfect perfect book yep. for that is Wanderers by Chuck Wendig. A lot of people can't read that right mm -hmm. now, but it came out last year and it really just kind of sets the bar for what will I think be the future of what we look back on as the stand of Stephen King because it really mm. does hit all those right goose pimples and modernizes things. So it, it really is a modern day, the stand basically, but so good. So, so good. Highly recommend that one also. Really interesting. I, yeah, I have not read anything by him, but it, what this also calls to mind, I've hear, heard a lot of people since the pandemic talking about the fact that so much of it is stuff that was predicted in Octavia Butler's work. And I think she's an interesting author because she really crosses back and forth between sci-fi, fantasy, and horror in really interesting ways. Does a lot of kind of genre mashups. But yeah, I've heard I've heard people say she was like practically like a like a modern day prophet, sort of the thing, some of the things that she talked about in some of her books. Yeah, it's really startling to read her work because you're like, um, did you do some time travel? Because this is really on point. <laughs> And but that's the t the <laughs> testament of a good author. I mean, when your books can last the tell of time and kind of speak to people of a generation, you know, 30, 40 years later, that is good work right there. Mm -hmm. I, I just yeah, she's always yeah. going to be one of my favorites.
Yeah, I want to read more from her. I've just in the last year finally, finally started reading her work. And I read Fledgling recently, which I know is a very controversial <laughs> book, but I loved it. I think it's so smart and the the issues that it's tackling and it's supposed to make you uncomfortable. That's the point. And maybe that's the point with horror too. And this, I guess, could be that, you know, it's her vampire novel, but people get very uncomfortable with the fact that the main character is not really human, but looks, has the appearance of a 12 year old girl, but is actually 70 something years old and has a intimate relationship with a man in his twenties. And people are very, very uncomfortable with that because her body is that of a child, but it's like intended to make you uncomfortable and it's grappling with these really interesting issues so the problem with us as Americans is we are so sheltered. And if people would just stop for a few minutes and go outside mainstream media and look and investigate and, you know, read a few nonfiction books, there are some horrific, horrible things that happen in this world. All horror does is bring it to light. Mm -hmm. So when you read a horror book that kind of jars you a little bit or takes you out of your comfort zone maybe it's something that it's awakening in you. It's saying, hey, this really does exist. And I know that happens a lot when it comes to children and whore. And people are like, oh, this is crossing mm -hmm. a line. You don't mess with children. Um, you know, and mm -hmm. I... I've, I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to sound weird here. I'm going to sound like I'm this now crazy whore cat lady or something because I have to really disassociate myself what is considered normal. I have to look at it from a critique almost. And this allows me, I think, to mm. not only be a better reader, a better reviewer, but a better recommender. I'm known for my deep dives. I mean, for goodness sakes, log on to my YouTube channel. I don't have anything under 30 minutes. I've dug in. I've gotten all the ugly for you, you know? So if you're going to like it, if you're going to hate it, I'm going to tell you why. You can't go into horror the way you go into other genres, because if you do, you're going to get bit very fast. And, you know, for all intensive purposes, yeah. for some people, they're like, oh, that sounds good. You know, that's exactly what I'm going in for. But, you, you know, you, you can't because you're going to go in with expectations of wanting something and it's something else. And then you're going to leave confused and you're not going to come back to the genre. And the genre does end up losing a lot of readers for that reason. I try to always have like my go-to five novels in every subgenre to recommend to people that start people on the lower mm -hmm. level of things that might jar them or take them out of that comfort zone. So that way they're apt to come back and say, hey, can you recommend something else to me instead of, you know, running for the first flight and saying, never mind, don't talk to Cammie. She's weird. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. And this is rem reminding me of what I wanted to comment on that you said earlier, you were talking about content trigger warning or trigger warnings. And it's interesting. So I do, I usually call them content warnings when I write them into my reviews, because I think exactly what you had said previously about how, you know, you don't know what's going to be triggering to a person, but I do think it's helpful to know content going in. And for me, I do have a couple of things, not many things, but I have a couple of things that are more triggering that I either won't read or I need to know that they're going to be there going in. There aren't many of those, but there's a couple of them. And I will say certain things with children is a thing for, and maybe it's because I have my own young children, but fledgling I could deal with. And I think part of it is because 
mentally I was like, okay, she's not actually a child. She just looks like one. So for me, that's different. And like, I know for some readers, they can't separate that. But it is interesting because there are some some things with children, like I just can't read. I'm like, nope, okay, that that's not going to work for me. Uh, but you know, I, I know that that's me. That's not necessarily for me, for me, at least I'm not, it's not necessarily that I think you shouldn't ever include that in books, because I think part of it is that like, horrific things happen to children. And there are many adults who had horrific things happen to them as children. And sometimes, um, you know, and I mean, this could get into a whole other conversation about the standards we hold authors to sometimes, but you know, sometimes there are authors of books who process their own trauma through their writing, but should they feel like they have to publicly come out and talk about their trauma? No, <laughs> not unless they want to. And that can sometimes be a problem as well. Yeah. And that goes into, I think, a conversation that comes up a lot, but, um, you know, separating the art from the artist kind of thing. And it's a really challenging thing mm -hmm. in horror, especially because a lot of people I find sometimes in reviews are really mean towards the author and they make it seem as though the author is such type of way, you know, like say if a character is very egotistical or misogynistic, they word the review so that the author then becomes egotistical and misogynistic. And it's like, hold on just a second, just because they're writing mm -hmm. a character in such a way doesn't necessarily mean that this individual is like that. So sometimes I do have to stop while reading, especially if a book is just, you know, really chapping my hide and, you know, just hitting me in all the wrong spots. I have to kind of stop, take a breather and be like, okay, is this the author? And especially if I have never read anything by a particular mm -hmm. author before. And some so, sometimes that's challenging. And I think that's why sometimes it does take me longer to read a book because I do tend to fall down rabbit holes where I'm like, okay, I don't want to be the jerk that gives that bad one-star review, although I've never given a one-star. I might be close this time, though. I'm reading a book right now that just You've never given it. a one-star? <laughs> I've never given a one-star. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, but then again, I didn't really put a lot of weight into reviewing my books because I didn't think anybody cared because my reviews are very unconventional. You know, I feel like a lot of people go in with these, you know, great synopses and, you know, character discussions. And here I am over here just kind of pulling out bits and pieces, you know, in terms of content warning. I like that a lot better because I really do feel that that mm -hmm. um, it, it just kind of pads it a little bit and just says, hey, you know, these are all the things that you will come up against. It might not necessarily trigger you, but just watch out for these. And I'm very mm -hmm. respectful now, you know, having been triggered in a couple of books myself, asking people up front, okay, what are your taboos? What are things that you absolutely just can't do? Because again, I don't want to scare people away from the genre. I want yeah. people to trust my recommendations. And I want people to ask me again, you know, and I also want to keep people reading horror. Yeah. That's probably the one thing that yeah. connected me to you is the fact that you have such a wide range of reading. But every year you just read more and more horror. And I'm like, yes, she's getting closer to the dark <laughs> side. This is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I'm finding my niche. I'm finding the things that I, I like. And I, you know, I'm, I, I, there, I mean, several of my favorite books that I've read this year have been horror and often gothic horror, as we've discussed. But yeah, no, I, I think I think content warnings is helpful. And that's what you get with like, you know, television and movies, too. You might get content warnings so that people are kind of aware of what's what generally you're going to encounter. And I think that's can be helpful. I do think for some books, and this is probably true of horror, sometimes they are there are spoilery 
content warnings. And so when I have those, I will say, hey, these ones are spoilery. So if you don't want to be spoiled, don't read them. But I will still include them. And uh, yeah, that's kind of what I meant earlier when I said I didn't really believe in trigger warnings at first, because I really felt like it was stifling that that element of surprise, you know, I don't like to be the one that spoils something for someone. And that's why I didn't put a lot of weight into reviews either. Because I'm like, well, here I am talking about all the parts and pieces of this book, somebody's going to read this review, and they're gonna be like, Oh, you ruined that for me. You know, I think now, though, I'm a lot more specific when I go into a review in terms of being intentional, you know, thinking about what I'm going to say before I start typing it out, because this allows me to alleviate those. And I don't think I've ever put a spoiler in a book. You know, if it gets to a point where you just can't talk about a book because everything would be a potential spoiler, I'll just, you know, say this is an experience or, you know, you'll have to try this one on for size. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, it is important, it is, it, especially in horror, because there's just so many jarring things. But on the same regard, you you just want to allow people to still have that experience without manipulating it for them. I think, too, it's worth talking about that there are different kinds of readers. My friend Mara from Book, Books Like Whoa, she's a, uh, another YouTuber, says it in a way that I think is really good of she'll talk about how she's not a what reader, she's a how reader. And so spoilers don't bother her. For her, it's not about the end. It's about how you get there. And not everybody is that way. For some people, that will ruin the book for them if they hear any spoilers. And I think it's interesting. I'm kind of maybe halfway in between. But again, like I'm not necessarily always bothered by things that some people might consider to be spoilery. It doesn't always ruin the book for me, depending on the genre and depending on the specifics. But there are people who are very sensitive where they want to go in pretty much blind, not knowing anything. And so I think it's interesting. There's such variation in types of readers and how people approach a book and what they want to know going in. And I think part of it too is there are some people who have who, who deal with anxiety and for them sometimes reading reviews and knowing what to expect going in helps ease their anxiety of like approaching a new story that they haven't read before and so all of these things can play a role in how people need or want different things. I'm just amazed that there are still blind readers in 2020, though. I mean, how do you really avoid any type of spoiler? I, I mean, with social media, the way that it is, the way that people want to be the first to get the information out there, or be the first to review or be the first mm -hmm. to, you know, do these reveals on their YouTube channels and stuff like that. I just I don't understand how people want to go in not knowing anything. I'm th That's a rare reader nowadays. But for me, I think I'm much like you. And I can really um, resonate with what you said about I don't think anything spoils me. I don't I don't really think that if anybody told me mm -hmm. anything at all about the book, I'd be like, okay, cool. Yeah, that that just helps intensify it for me. And it just kind of adds to the synopsis because sometimes on the back of the books, a synopsis can oh, yeah. be really vague, and it doesn't sell the story the way your friend could, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of spoiling it. I don't really get spoiled. And I, I try not to do that for other people, but I can certainly understand people wanting to, you know, have certain things hidden and so forth. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that's true. And I think sometimes if I want to talk about something that's majorly spoilery, I'll put it under a spoiler warning tag in my review. So I think you know, a great example of this, a very controversial book that I loved and apparently many other people didn't <laughs> 
that is horror. It's kind of a blend of gothic horror and other genres. But The Tenth Girl by Sarah Faring, which came out, it was YA, but re could have been adult, I think. And it, I loved it. It's set in 1970s Argentina in Patagonia at a girls boarding school following a new teacher who's supposed to have 10 girls in her class, but one of them is missing. And really weird, creepy things happen. And it's got this big twist at the end that people kind of love or hate, but I loved the twist, mostly because... <laughs> This is so hard to talk about without spoiling it, but mostly because what the twist means, what the twist means about the, the themes of the book and what the author was trying to do. And it was just so smart and really worked for me. And I loved the commentary that came with that, but I couldn't talk about it publicly because it's a huge spoiler. And so I have a whole spoiler section. In fact, I think half of my review on Goodreads for this book is under a spoiler tag <laughs> because I really, really wanted to talk about this twist. <laughs> Those are the hardest books for me to talk about. It was cool because I got to meet the author and went to her book launch event and asked her, I was like, this is what I think you're doing with the twist. Is this what you're doing? And she was like, yes, that's what I was doing. And it was very exciting that I was like, yes, I love it. <laughs> okay. That's always the best bonus as a reader is when you actually understand what the author was trying to say because you're like, okay, I'm not crazy. I got it. But I think that happens no. a lot, especially when you are as an author, um, you know, as a reader, the experience we have to know going in fully what the story encompasses. So if it is based on other countries myths or legends I think that's kind of where I'm going with this um, we have to be respectful of that and I think again this comes with being American I think sometimes people go in with these expectations that if they're reading a book in English it has to make sense for us and that's not the case and a lot of the times we miss the beauty of the book so when you know you have something that's set in a different country or has a plot twist that will take you to that country of origin Again, the reviews aren't so kind. And I find that a lot with psychological thrillers, which that book is, is that you get a mixed bag of reviews because people either get it or they don't. And that's no fault of the author. Mm -hmm. It's totally at fault of the reader because I think that a lot of the times people go into books with expectations, not setting themselves aside. You know, I guess I'm just very defensive of the horror genre and everything is my baby. And when somebody says something negative about a book that I loved or about an author that I adore, it's just like, hold on, did you mm -hmm. miss? Let, let's have a conversation here. Let me buy you a <laughs> coffee and you're going to love this book. But, you know, we have to respect the fact that <laughs> not everybody is going to love what we love and not everybody is going to get no. the intent of the book, you know, but I just, I want people to be more intentional readers, you know, don't go in with expectations okay. of being what you are, you know, just because it, it doesn't happen in your world, or just because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean it's not real. Yeah, no, I and I, you know, I see this coming up a lot, especially this year, with everything that's been happening in America, over the summer, there's been a big push to read more diversely and read books by Black people, Black authors, and other authors of color. And sometimes you end up having people who are not, who, who t previously had not done that, reading these books, where perhaps the story includes an experience that is different from their own. 
and then either finding it stereotyped or not believable or whatever, like, and, and reviewing it negatively because of that. I'm like, look, just because this is not your experience of the world doesn't mean it isn't somebody else's experience of the world. And, you know, we can have empathy. (laughs) We can learn. And this is also why I do think it is valuable if you're reading a book from another person's experience, that it can be really useful when you're looking at reviews to go and read reviews from what we call own voices reviewers, reviewers who also come from a similar background as the author or as the what's happening in the story, because they can sometimes have insight that you might not know, and it might change your perception. I think a great example with a book that we talked about earlier is The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. I read it. And I think one of the things that I was less enthusiastic about with it was there's a lot of focus on basketball in it. And I, as somebody I know, I know I'm not a huge sports person. Look, I'm a book nerd. (laughs) Not that you can't be a book nerd and a sports person. You totally can. I'm just not. And so I was like, okay, we're talking about basketball again. But what was interesting is later on, I started hearing from other reviewers who talked about the importance of basketball in Native American communities and the significant role that it plays and the meaning behind it and why it was being included in these interesting ways. And I was like, okay, so there was something more here that I wasn't seeing because that's not my background and that's not where I come from. And I never would have known if I hadn't listened to other people who do know that information. So, And that's why I think it's important too to listen to other reviewers. Um, you know, if they do content on YouTube, listen to those reviews. Also read other reviews before writing your own because there is a ton of things that mm-hmm. we can miss as readers. Uh, you know, one of the most challenging books, I guess I'll, I'll word it as that for my recommendations is The House of Leaves by Mark uh, Danielinski. And the the issue with that book is the way that it's written. It's written so obscurely. It's a very fat book. It's a chunker. It's probably like about 600 pages in length. But it is written so obscurely. Part of it is transcripts. Others is journal notations. There are some that just have a dot on the page. There's some pages that are written in a circle. Some are written in scribble. Some are written backwards, upside down, left to right. You have Some pages you have to read in a mirror. And this is very frustrating for some readers. They're like, I, I don't, I, I want to just sit down and read the book. Like, how hard is this, you know? And so that's a very hard sell. But I tell people when they read it, they're going to love it. And they're going to get something out of it. And then if they read it again, they're going to get something different from it because you can honestly read that book from probably four different points of views and get a completely different story every time. But it's hard to mm-hmm. sell a book like that. And it's extremely frustrating when, mm-hmm. you know, somebody reads a book and they review it negatively. And sometimes it's as simple as you miss this. You miss the important part. And that's a really great point that you made in terms of, you know, Stephen Graham Jones's book, because yes, that was so important. And we're seeing so much of this now. Those negative reviews Mm -hmm. that come across that this book isn't for me. And it's like, really? But it is. Just because it's not from your point of view, not because it's from your, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. your religious perspective, your cultural background, your race, your ethnicity, your sexuality. 
it's still for you, you know, whether Mm -hmm. or not you choose to take something from it, whether or not you choose to connect with it, that's different. That's just saying, hey, I read this book and, you know, I like this, I didn't like this, or I read it but didn't like it. That's different. I guess as a reviewer telling other people don't read this because it just... It crushes me. And yes, yeah. we're seeing a ton of that right now. And I really wish people would stop yeah. doing that. And sometimes there are books that you do need to do a little bit of research on either before going in or after you read it. You know, maybe there was something that was confusing to you and it wouldn't hurt to look it up. You know, these are just all points that make us not only better readers, but better human beings. Yeah, well, and with this, I, I always think about the fact that at least in America, Everybody grew up going to school, reading books, mostly by dead white guys, and was expected to empathize with the characters and find meaning in those books. And if women and people of color can do that (laughs) with classic literature, I feel like everybody should be able to learn to read from somebody else's point of view and perspective and find meaning and empathy with those things. I concur 100%. I mean, I'm American. I'm proud to be an American. There's nothing wrong with, you know, your heritage, your lineage, your your ethnicity. There's nothing wrong no. with being prideful of that. But you've got to recognize the flaws in your system and you've got to be able to call it out when you see it. Mm-hmm. And yes, our American education system is for bonkers. I mean, it is something that is just, it's never updated. It's its never revitalized. We are stuck in the Stone Age and our literature. I mean, if you look at the list and I'm, I'm starting to see a little bit of change and a little bit of diversity, but I think it's because yeah. of people like us, you know, in the book world that are able to kind of use our voices and we're encouraging other people to not be afraid to use their voice and by doing that we are bringing attention to these books that are sometimes forgotten sometimes you know like you're saying that we we tend to put certain books on a pedestal because of the author or because of the the race of the author or the gender of the author and it's like hold on just a second there are some people that can write this a hell of a lot better or have written it you know better and said it better and it stuck with me better. So let's talk about that book instead. You know, I really like to see those and you do a lot of things like this on your channel, where you're comparing like, hey, if you like this, you'll also like this, but it's a complete opposite direction. You know, you might be showcasing me a white man over here, but here, here's a you know, Argentinian female that's going to tell it way better and knock your socks off. And that's what we need more of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I've got to say, shout out to all of the the teachers and the school librarians who are fighting for more diversity in the books that their kids are reading, because that is such important work. And I know that they are out there. I know that they're overstressed, especially with COVID. And, you know, it's interesting. I have seen sometimes teachers and librarians who maybe don't have time to read all the newest releases themselves where booktube can be an important tool for them to discover books that they want to get in the hands of their kids and so um yeah if anybody's listening who falls into into those categories you're doing amazing work under very difficult circumstances <laughs> yes we love our librarians and our teachers they're very underappreciated in this yeah 
this country, well, all countries, I mean, teachers are just, uh, I Mm -hmm. have such heart and compassion for teachers. They put up with so much, so much of what they do happens even after they're off the clock. You know, there's some incredible educators and librarians. I love our teachers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, with the pandemic, those of us who have children and are having to oversee more of their education at home right now are like, wow, (laughs) you guys do really good work. (laughs) should get paid more for it. (laughs) Yeah, as I see all these people doing YouTube videos with their home classrooms, I'm like, you understand now. Well, see, I've always kind of known because my mom homeschooled my (laughs) sister. So, you know, watching her do that, I'm like, wow, there's a lot that goes into this. I tried to get her to homeschool me. But by the time, you know, my sister and I are eight years apart. So she did not want to teach me high school. She's like, Mm -hmm. no, you're on your own, kid. So, you know, watching all these parents learning how to teach their kids, it's like it's different than when they just come home with homework. When you've got them, you know, all the time, yeah. it's it's a completely different jarring experience for the parent. Yep. Yep. It's a lot to organize. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that overall, this is a fantastic topic. And I'm just really excited that this is something that you wanted to talk about. Because like I said, I get really excited watching your content and just seeing how much you know, more you've gotten into horror over the last few years that I've known you. I see such a beautiful blend happening more and more year over year in those communities of sci-fi and fantasy. And so for you to make horror Mm -hmm. adjacency a topic is so important because I really do think it would allow people that, especially, you know, that follow your content to gravitate over to someone like myself or in within the horror community that sees that there is a correlation that you can still love your sci-fi and your fantasy but you can give horror a try because you know there is so much more to horror than what you see in the movies and again I can't stress yeah. subgenres enough you know talk to me about subgenres I always tell people that talk to me about subgenres in the comments let's see what you like and I can guarantee I can find you a book so this is a really important topic mm-hmm. for all of those different niches, including romance, because there's some crazy, you know, supernatural romances out there that I don't think people even know exist. And I'm not a huge romance reader, but I won't turn a romance down if there's some creepy weird stuff in there. (laughs) Well, you know, there are plenty of those. I mean, like, especially gothic romances or some of the paranormal romances. I do think there's, there's some interesting stuff coming, coming there. I also think in YA, (laughs) sometimes there are books that are horror that aren't necessarily sold that way, and that can become a problem, and then they can end up being a little more controversial. A book that comes to mind from last year was Damsel by Alana K. Arnold. I loved it, but there were a lot of people who were very mad about it. And it's interesting because it was sold more as a fairy tale fantasy type thing, and I think people who picked it up based on that were probably like what did I what did I get myself into because really what I like to call it is it's really a horror story wrapped up in the trappings of a fairy tale yes. I mean that's that's, well, that's really what adjacency in a nutshell yeah absolutely well and in this case what it's tackling is um misogyny and sexual assault and it's fantastic but there were people who were very upset about it and said this is not appropriate for teenagers what is this there's like some weird stuff in it but I was like no this is so good and so powerful and 
there are so many teenagers who experience this, who experience sexual assault, who experience these toxic manipulative relationships with people pressuring them into physical things that they're not ready for and making them feel guilty about it. That's a real thing that happens. And it's a real thing that happens for teenagers. So of course, there should be a book that is addressing it in a way that is empowering. And, you know, even if it's disturbing in some ways. I think sometimes we underestimate what teenagers experience and what they can handle. Well, and and that's a perfect point. YA is a very touchy subject with me because I think that we are really naive when it comes to dealing with young adults in this country and what they experience, Mm -hmm. what they're subjected to, what they see. I mean, think about how much technology we have readily accessible to us. Kids are getting cell phones now at six and seven years old. You know, they might be prodigies of, mm. you know, divorced households and stuff. Oh that my might be- <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's reasons kids have cell phones that young. But the point is, yeah, kids do no, have sure. yeah. access to technology way more than we did when we were growing up. And I think it's important to mm-hmm. cover these hard hitting subjects if you're going to be afraid to discuss them with your teenagers at home. And, you know, Sex is probably the most taboo subject in our country. I mean, just look at how we treat the sex industry. And and I'm not trying to get on a weird tangent here or anything, but there is misconceptions about that industry and that trade. And that takes us into just the basic fundamentals of how we teach sex education in our country. And so we assume that when we come across sex in a YA book, it's wrong. It's not something we should be putting mm-hmm. in there. We shouldn't be writing about it. But think about when you were 13 yeah. and 14, you know, and again, I'm, I'm being nice when I say that, but I heard my first sex joke in the th- second grade. I was going to say third, but that it was the oh, second wow. grade. I had no idea what it meant. But when I look back on it now, I'm just like, mm-hmm. why did that child know that, you know? But I didn't. I just thought, okay, that was weird, you know, and I went about my day and went home and played with my Barbies. But there are children that are subjected to things that we are not subjecting our children to. And it's a beautiful thing to shelter a child. Mm -hmm. But once they leave your care, once they leave your comfort zone, they're going to see things, they're going to hear things. So I encourage these authors that are writing these heavy hitting subjects to keep it up because some teenagers, that's all they have, you know, they that's their only source yeah. of being able to connect with characters and seeing people being more free to talk about different types of sexual gender or gender preference or relationships, you know, seeing mm-hmm. all of this evolve in YA is a really beautiful thing. And I just I hope more people embrace it. And when it comes to teens, we ha- we should have a little bit more leniency. They should have a little bit more freedom to explore these things in a safe environment like a book versus having to go out and experience it on yeah. the street. Yeah. Well, it's funny. My So the last episode, um, we were talking about fantasy romance and we talked similarly about, I mean, exactly this is like sex in YA. How should it be done appropriately? How can that be a safe space for teenagers to explore that in a book. Yeah, so I I think definitely I agree with you. And I think this is not the only area that those conversations are being had. And that's just as true in romance, where it's a place to see healthy, consensual relationships as it is in maybe more horror, where it's a place of processing 
trauma that maybe people have actually experienced or are experiencing. And I think that's just as valuable for teenagers as it is for adults. And maybe it's not going to be for every teenager, but to have it out there, I think is important. With that said, Cammie, we have definitely made our time for this. So sorry, I'm like the worst guest ever. No, you're this was great. Thank you so much for joining me and talking about horror and horror crossover tonight. This was a really great conversation. And again, everybody, this has been Chapter 3 Podcast, and I'm your host, Bethany. You can follow us on Twitter at Chapter 3 Podcast, and you can also find me on YouTube at Beautifully Bookish Bethany if you're looking for more bookish content. And don't forget, if you join our Patreon before the end of October, there is a special deal running where you get two months of benefits at the next highest tier. So if you're interested in joining, getting extra special bonus content with Cami and other guests, getting early access to episodes. The link is down in the show notes. The next episode is going to be available in two weeks. Thanks for listening.